0: Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And as always, before we get into this week's interview, i got to give it up to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. MailChimp also integrates with over 800 different services like survey tools, CRMs, accounting systems, so I'm pretty sure you can find a way to use it in your business as well. Sign up for a free account at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code BACKTOSCHOOL and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more, starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Don't forget about our audience survey that's going on this month. Just head over to revisionpath.com forward slash survey and fill that out. Everyone who submits a survey will be entered into a giveaway for a $100 Amazon.com gift card. The survey is going to close at the end of the month. That's August 31st, so please do not wait until the last minute. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash survey. I'd love to hear from you. All right, here is our Patreon fundraising campaign updates. We're now at 17 patrons for a combined total of $127 a month. A huge thanks to all of you who have already, you know, pledged your support and appreciation for the show. I know $127 a month probably doesn't seem like a whole lot, but I'm able to use that directly and put it back into the show. For example, I had to re-up SoundCloud hosting for a year. And I was able to do that with the money from Patreon patrons, so it really, really helps, you know, kind of keeps the show going. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get access to some really great perks like special giveaways, early access to future episodes, or a monthly Google Hangout with me and other Revision Path supporters, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge Level Start is just $1 a month. All right, now on to this week's interview. Really excited about this one. I had the chance to talk with Ire Aderinokun. Ire is a UI designer and a front-end developer in Lagos, Nigeria. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do.
1: Hi, my name is Ire Aderinokun, and I'm a Nigerian user interface designer and front-end developer. You basically just means I design and build websites.
0: Now, you're located in Lagos, is that correct?
1: Yes, I am. Lagos, Nigeria.
0: So what should us folks here in the U.S., a Revision Pass audience, we have an international audience, but it's mostly U.S.-based, what should we know about the tech scene in Lagos?
1: Well, basically, you should know that it's really coming up. It's really booming at the moment. Just a few years ago, there wasn't so much going on, but more recently, it's actually been a lot more things happening. There's a lot of startups coming up. And there's this area it's in Lagos, which is called Yaba, and sometimes they refer to as Yabacon Valley It's kind of we call it Raz here, which means kind of uncool, but it's just funny at the same time.:
0: <laughs> What do you think is contributing to that rise of a of, uh, startup and tech activity in Lagos?
1: I think partly it's also The fact that our internet connection and stuff is actually getting a lot better. I remember just a couple of years ago, it was still really, really slow, but it's been getting a lot better. Every time I would come back for holiday, because I was in school in England, every time I would come back for holiday, there would always be some new internet service provider that we were on because people just keep on improving. And right now it's like pretty much as fast as it is in England. The only problem that we're having at the moment is still no constant electricity, which is kind of an issue. But there's been these new things called MiFis that have kind of come up out of it. It's basically like a Wi-Fi, but then it's mobile. So that's why it's called MiFi. So it kind of Helps us deal with the problem of us of not always being able to like plug in your Wi-Fi, so you can mm-hmm. just carry it around and you charge it, and it's helped a lot actually. I use it, I'm using it
0: right now. Oh, I think I've seen that. It's like a mobile phone, or it looks like a mobile phone, but it also carries a charge. I think as well. Is that what it is? Is that what the Wi-Fi is?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's just. A mobile Wi-Fi router, it's basically as small as a phone and it should last pretty much all day. You just have to charge it at night and then you can use it throughout the whole day. Because having no electricity to charge, especially during the day, is kind of a big issue. So this was kind of a response to that.
0: I know when I spoke with, I mean, I'm guessing this is something that probably happens in a lot of countries in Africa, is that, that load shedding issue that you're talking about where electricity is not necessarily constant all the time and so that does affect how you do work when you do work and then even the solutions that arise because of that constraint
1: yeah it's definitely the biggest issue that's kind of holding back a lot of things in nigeria at the moment because our the national electricity is not constant all the time so most people need to have some sort of generator. And obviously that just costs so much. So it's just not plausible or doable for everyone to be able to have like constant electricity.
0: What are some of the the companies there in Lagos that we should know about? Maybe some of the ones that are in in Yabacon Valley, as you call (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, Um, uh, there are quite a few. There's one I'm currently working with a small startup and It's called ProStream. It's basically a digital media streaming platform as a service. So if you imagine, for example, companies who might put some of their videos on YouTube, but they could have their own platform for themselves, so we kind of provide that platform for people. So that's who I'm kind of working with at the moment, so part-time. And there's this company called Tech Cabal, and they're the biggest tech blog in Nigeria, actually, so if you just go there, you can see all the stuff that's going on. There's this other startup, it's Hotels.ng. And they basically just, it's a kind of a database for hotels in Nigeria, as you would imagine from the domain name. <laughs> and they actually recently just raised $1.2 million from international investors. So there's a lot of um, international focus in Nigeria actually at the moment. And very frequently there are these Pitching events and where in- investors come in and just to see what's going on. I think there's one going on like right now, actually.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. I've heard of, of Tech Cabal. I think I've actually linked to a few things from there. Oh, that's um, cool. And yeah, it does. They do a really good job of sort of detailing what the kind of the Nigerian tech scene is like, mostly in Lagos, but also throughout the country as well.
1: Yeah.
0: Talk to me about like what's a typical day for you? Uh, you say you're kind of working part time at ProStream but you know walk us through what's a day in your life like
1: I typically wake up around seven actually have you ever heard of this thing called polyphasic sleeping
0: I have I, I actually practice that myself seriously yeah
1: yeah oh wow because I tried to do it and I, I've, I'm kind of failing at the moment <laughs> so uh, how many hours do you sleep then
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It varies. So usually, like, if we're talking at night, like, I'd say between, if we're talking like midnight, between midnight and eight, I may sleep about four hours then, but then I also will take a nap at some point during the day, one or two naps, like, maybe a two-hour nap here, two-hour nap there. So uh, that's, it it shifts, based. uh, honestly, it shifts a lot based on whatever projects I'm working on. So... If I know I've got a ton of project work, that may change. And if I don't have that much project work, I may adopt a more regular sleeping pattern. So I find myself kind of going in and out between a regular sleep pattern and more polyphasic.
1: That's cool because I just learned about it like a few weeks ago. And because I just got the idea in my head that I was just wasting so much time sleeping. So (laughs) I was just like, (laughs) how can I do this? And then I was just Googling and I came up with this polyphasic sleeping, so I was like, I have to try this, but I kept on falling asleep during the day. <laughs> so I don't know, do you have any tips for me on how I can actually force myself to stay awake?
0: Oh, wow. So I don't know about, well, I guess forcing yourself to stay awake. I mean, there's always stuff like caffeine pills. I think that helps, but the problem with that is they can be expensive and you can end up getting addicted if you take too many of them. Yeah. I don't really use them. I drink a lot of tea that has caffeine in it, so that helps.
1: Yeah, I can use tea as well.
0: And I time shift a lot of stuff. So, like, I time shift, I'd say 90% of my emails are time shifted, meaning that I use uh, Mozilla Thunderbird for my email. Okay. And so, there's a plugin that's called Send Later. So, what you can do is just type up responses to emails and then have them send out. At some time in the future. Now, granted, you still have to keep your email client up in order to do that. But that's how I tend to, I guess, time shift a lot of stuff. You know, I time shift blog posts and podcasts and all my social media updates and things. So that way, when I'm sleeping, I'm still, you know, quote unquote, working. Yeah, but. I don't feel, I mean, not that I should feel guilty. I mean, we all have to sleep, but (laughs) I don't feel guilty if I take a nap in the middle of the day. I've still gotten some stuff done. I've still moved the needle forward on a few projects and things. That's cool.
1: So, well, since my whole polyphasic sleeping thing hasn't been working out, I would typically (laughs) wake up around 7 and sometimes try and do some sort of exercise. Sometimes I just get straight into doing some work, especially if I'm working from home or I would go to the office. And when I'm working from home, sometimes I I mean, I mean, like to take lots of breaks. So I watch TV, maybe take a nap, or just do different things. And I also sometimes go to this little restaurant-slash-cafe-slash-art gallery. And it's quite nice to just go there to work. And I know a few people who go there quite frequently. So it's quite nice to kind of get out of the house and work in a place that's not necessarily an office or my house. It's just kind of a relaxing area. Mm -hmm. And I typically try to keep the evenings free so I can do some socializing. Uh, Lagos is actually really active at night, I think. I mean, it's really kind of a party, (laughs) party city. Everyone really loves going out to bars and clubs and stuff, so it really comes alive at night, so... There's always something to do.
0: That sounds like Atlanta. Atlanta's like that, too. It's very much uh, a, a yeah? an entertainment party city at night. Yeah, well, I'd say at night until about, like, 2 a.m. and then stuff starts closing down. But for the most part, it is very much an entertainment city.
1: Yeah, the problem with Lagos, I don't know why, but it's things tend to start so much later. Like, even if on a Friday night, going to the club at 1 is actually seen as early... <laughs> wow yeah and people like to stay till like six in the morning especially like friday saturday nights Mm -hmm. so it gets quite crazy but that's hardcore yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i'm even that hardcore but i i try and keep up because all my friends are like staying out from till like six and then i guess they'll sleep most of the day but yeah
0: (laughs) Well, I'd imagine if you're clubbing till 6am, that kind of helps with that polyphasic sleep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So you have a website that's called Bits of Code, and that's actually where I first found out about you. So tell me about that site, how you sort of got started with it and everything.
1: Okay, well, Bits of Code is just a blog where I kind of explain web development things. Well, I kind of in my head or how I pitched it to myself was just a place where I could research bits of code and just kind of explain it to people. So the reason I actually started was at the time I was kind of struggling to get clients and to get establish my name in the industry because I had just graduated last year, July last year, and I immediately started freelancing, but I was really having a problem in really getting people to know that I can actually make websites (laughs) and Mm -hmm. just, I guess, putting my name out there and networking with other people who are in the industry. So I was just kind of thinking for myself, maybe I should start a blog. But a lot of things that actually stopped me from doing that was thinking that I couldn't, like, why could I actually start a blog? Because I mean, I'm only self taught, right? So I didn't think that I could teach other people. But then I actually listened to this podcast. It's called Developer Tea, and it's basically a five-minute podcast. That's kind of what the pitch is. But in when one episode, they were talking about why it's a good thing for you to start a blog as a web developer because that's what will actually help you get your name out there and do exactly what I was trying to do. So I was convinced, and I just said that I would actually start doing it and. Since I actually did it, I just kind of came to the realization that you don't actually have to be an expert in to teach other people, so in my head, I always thought that people who had blogs were these people who knew absolutely everything about everything, like for example, I would look at c s s tricks and think, "Wow, Chris Koya must really know." absolutely everything about CSS and I mean now that I think about it that was kind of a silly thing to think but now I realize well first of all he probably doesn't know absolutely everything and he does know a lot and the reason he knows a lot is because he actually started this blog right (laughs) so he learns all these things by actually writing about it so I just decided that yeah I would start this blog I would just talk about what I'm learning and kind of write it in a way that could help other people who maybe didn't know the topics that I was talking about. And it's been really, really cool so far. I'm really enjoying it.
0: Yeah, the thing about, I guess, that expert title is that it's really relative, depending on, you know, I guess, whoever you're an expert to. Because even if you have just a little bit of knowledge about something, Mm -hmm. you've got more than... Someone else out there that has no knowledge about something like I tell that to people that want to start speaking and they feel like they have to be, I don't know, experts in order to speak. But I tell them that just where you're at right now, you're an expert to someone just because yeah. you're, you're, you know how to do something that they don't. And if they're looking to learn and they want to look at someone, I almost find it's easier when you're just starting out to talk to someone that is also just starting out because then you can see kind of where their progression is. Whereas if you talk to the people that are like these super experts, it can be hard for them to kind of, I guess, come down to that level, so to speak, to where you're just starting out, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I completely understand. Like, for example, I was recently trying to learn how to, to code in Angular JS, and I'm learning about Firebase as well. So what I did was I just went on YouTube and just typed in AngularJS Firebase. And then this guy who had created a little playlist where he, he built this little app. It was a Reddit clone, but a very, very simple one. And he basically just showed his process and exactly how he built everything. And it was quite short. Like I said, it was actually a really simple version. But I actually learned so much from doing that. And through going through that process, I actually learned even more than that. And I now built a clone of Designer News myself, and I decided, oh, I should really share this. But it just kind of made me think that because this guy, he didn't know everything, but he did actually still impact me a lot. I still learned a lot from him,
0: yeah. And also the good thing about having a blog as a developer or as a designer is that it shows other people what your thought processes are and how you approach a problem, how you attack a problem. It shows that, and that's something that doesn't necessarily come through on a portfolio or resume or something like that. You know, it's more contextual when you have it in a written form like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's why I also try to write my posts in a way that is, it's like me teaching someone else. So I kind of try and break it down as much as possible And just put it in a very simple format so no matter really what stage you are, you should still be able to get something from it and understand what I'm talking about.
0: As a developer, what have you learned so far since starting Bits of Code? Like since you've started putting posts out and interacting with people, what have you sort of learned about yourself?
1: Well, technically, I've actually learned a lot about web development. I mean, technically. I've learned, there were so many things that I didn't really know about or even understand, and I just kind of decided, okay, I'm actually going to figure out exactly what the meta tag, for example, mean, and so I went and researched it, and in that way, my actual knowledge of web development has grown so much, but I've also, first of all, met a lot of people in the industry that I would not have met otherwise. From people commenting on the blog, I get to just interact with people and Also, people on Twitter sharing maybe my posts or just who find me through the blog. I've just met a lot of people. I've also got more job offers. So the reason I actually started the blog has actually really come to fruition. And obviously, I was invited to this podcast because of the blog.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go.
1: (laughs) Can I ask which article or blog post it was that you actually read or saw first?
0: I looked through a, several of them. I can't think of one off the top of my head that I think that yeah. that stood out to me the most. But I mean, I looked through several because what I end up seeing, because I do look at a lot of blogs and things like that, is, and this is just completely honest, I rarely see that kind of a deep sort of tech dive as far as development yeah. from a black woman on a blog. I rarely see that. So I think just the fact that I saw that you were really kind of trying to break down and analyze a bunch of different topics across a number of different posts is what really spoke to me like, oh, this is someone I would love to talk to and sort of get her perspective on being a developer and things like that.
1: Thank you. One other thing that I actually learned was that I do actually know more than I thought I did (laughs) because one of my first articles that actually got kind of popular was about CSS font sizes. And when I was writing it, I kind of felt like, well, I should already know this, right? I should already know all the stuff that I'm researching. So I kind of felt like everyone else knows this and I'm the only one who actually doesn't know what it is that I was writing about. But then I wrote the blog post and I posted it on Designer News and it got really popular. And so many people were saying, oh, that they actually got value from what I wrote. And that was actually really surprising for me. And that kind of made me realize that I do actually know something, (laughs)
0: I think I saw that post. It was either on Designer News or on CSS Tricks. It might have been one of the two. Yeah. About the CSS font sizes.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it was actually shared on CSS Tricks, which was a really, really huge deal
0: for me. <laughs> yeah, because that's—I mean—that's a, a huge blog. Like I said, yeah. Chris Coyer is doing a lot of great stuff with that.
1: Yeah. So I just kind of—it just really did make me realize that I should still try and share things because. There are people who were like me What a week before I actually wrote the blog post. So I'm, there's always going to be someone who would actually get value from what I'm writing. So that's what I always try and tell people that they should. There's always someone that they can teach things, especially things that they're just learning. Because I try to think of it like yeah, I'm writing my blog for myself a month ago. So a month ago, I didn't know all of these things, but I started researching them. And so now I'm writing them. For someone who is in my position, a month ago.
0: So, how did you first sort of get involved with web development? Because as I was looking back through your bio and looked at your LinkedIn profile, I saw that you've got degrees in both law and psychology, and now you're working as a developer. What sort of made that that switch for you?
1: Yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, everyone always asks me this when I say, "Oh, I studied law and psychology, but I'm a web developer." There is just like. What <laughs> do I just like collecting degrees for no reason? But <laughs> I guess it's kind of a long story. Basically, I just started web development kind of as a hobby when I was about maybe twelve or thirteen. I used to play this game which is called Neopets. It's just a, it's like an online virtual world and. It has just a lot of different components. So I wanted to create sort of like a fan site for it. So I created some graphics that people could now use in the game. And so, and I also created a site to host all these graphics as well. So that was kind of like the first site that I ever built. Actually, I think a lot of people who are now web developers used to play this game. Because I read an interview that you did with Nicole Dominguez. I think that's how you say her name. And she also mentioned yeah. that she she did the same thing. So I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of where the interest started. And I was doing it on and off for years after that, just kind of as a hobby. I would do some graphics for my friends. I built a really bad website for my friend, like years and years ago. And so I at that point, I didn't really think of it as a career. But then I moved to England, and this is when I went to study. I was in Bristol, University of Bristol. And I was kind of going through a, I call it a quarter-life crisis, <laughs> trying to decide what I want to do with my life. And my dad had also just passed, so I was kind of in a, what am I going to do with my life, sort of state. And so I met someone who was actually my flatmate at uni, and he was doing a computer science degree. And I didn't really know what that was at the time. But then through being friends with him, I kind of saw the work he was doing, and it kind of rekindled my interest in the whole coding thing. So I kind of decided midway through my law degree, which was two years that I was going to really try and pursue this. So I said, when I graduate, I'm going to at least give myself like a year to just try and pursue it and see if if it's a viable career. And it is. So I'm really happy that I did that.
0: (laughs) And so then after you graduated, you just decided you would move back to Lagos.
1: Yes, I was living in England for about seven or eight years So I graduated last year, and then I just moved back about a month ago. I was still in England for a few months, but now i am moved back full-time.
0: Has Legos changed since you've moved? Like, Do you feel different now that you've kind of went off for so long and come back?
1: Yes and no. I mean, I would always come back every year because my family is still here. My whole family is still here. I still have a lot of friends here. I went to secondary school here as well, so I still... A lot of my friends that were in that secondary school are still here as well. So I never really felt like I completely left. But every time I would come back for summer holiday or Christmas holiday, there was always something new that has happened. There was always some new restaurant or some new club or something. So, I mean, if I go back to seven years ago, it has changed really, really drastically. But I think because I've always been coming back, it it doesn't seem like such a harsh change but one of the main things is really the internet that has really changed so rapidly because it was only a few years ago that we could really barely get an internet connection and I would have to like download everything I wanted while I was still in London before I would come back <laughs> but now oh, yeah wow. <laughs> but now it's all good I can stream and it's it's good <laughs>
0: And see, I think that kind of thing is something, at least here in the U.S., we definitely take that for granted, the persistent and and right now I think almost ubiquitous presence of the Internet, especially wirelessly, everywhere that we go. And that's something that I think when we look at building tools and building solutions for the world and not just for like our communities and things like that, we have to consider, well, what is it like in other places in terms of what their usage level is like and Internet and wireless Internet and and electricity, like we talked about earlier, those sorts of considerations.
1: Yeah, a major thing in web development as well is trying to make sure that things work when people have really slow internet connection because that's a really, really big problem here. And there are a lot of people trying to work on things that work really well offline as well as online because of this problem. And... Also, a lot of people in the U.S. and U.K., for example, have iPhones predominantly, whereas here it's more of an Android and BlackBerry type of things. So it's kind of surprising because every time a new app comes out in the U.S. or U.K., it's always iPhone first, whereas here iPhone is actually usually the last.
0: <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I, I sort of, I think I knew that in terms of how Apple's, adoption rates are, uh, particularly throughout Africa. But I did know that that it was very heavy Android, a lot of Java usage and, and programs in Java and things like that. Android has really kind of made a lot of headway in that respect.
1: Yeah, it is. I think a lot of people do like the variety that Android allows you to have. So not everyone wants to have the exact same phone. And also, because it ranges in the price as well, you can get really good Android phones for a lot cheaper than you could get an iPhone, which is a big issue, of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you find that you use any of that sort of psychology or law, knowledge or, or things like that in your tech work? Like, does it cross over in some way?
1: I would say in a way for psychology, it's more just being able to understand other people more and Being able to sort of put myself in another person's shoes to kind of understand their perspective. For law, I think the main thing that law really taught me was how to read lots
0: of boring stuff.
1: (laughs) Read really long and tedious things.
0: That helps as a programmer. Yeah,
1: it does, because... Sometimes, I mean, reading documentation can be really dull. But I mean, after you've read some really boring case studies, it can get those kind of things are nothing compared to that, especially in the UK, because I studying law in the UK, I'm not exactly sure how it is in the US, but in the UK, the judges tend to write really, really long judgments, even if they're not even agreeing with each other. They just, or even if they are agreeing with each other, each judge still feels the need to write their own, like, 10-page reason, even though it's all the same thing. So that's taught me how to read.
0: (laughs) Yeah, here in the U.S., that's mostly what journalists do. They write these long, needlessly rambling think pieces and things (laughs) like that. I can't really speak on law because I don't work in or with the law, but I certainly see enough journalism that reflects that same kind of thing. What advice would you give to somebody that wants to follow in your footsteps, that wants to do what you've done?
1: What I would say is that you should have more confidence in yourself and your abilities. All you have to do is just look at where you were a year ago or even a week ago and you can see that you've actually achieved something and you shouldn't feel like you're not good enough to maybe start a blog or do web developments. You should just... I think web development is a really open industry and it's very accepting to people who are beginners. And so you should just go for it. Don't feel like you're not good enough because there's always someone who you can help.
0: Have you had anyone that's helped you along the way? Any mentors or anything like that?
1: I wouldn't say I've had any mentors, any people in particular. But what I would say as people in general who actually have inspired me a lot are just people who make their work and the projects that they do open source. I mean, because I'm sort of self-taught, I'm really aware that I would never have gotten this far or where I am without other people who have maybe given away their code for free or started blogs teaching other people. So that's kind of also why I wanted to start my blog because so many people have helped me. I feel like I should try and get back as well. But just people who make their work open source and try and help other people because I feel like that's how we have gotten so far as in general in the industry, people making things open and just so other people who are, who might be better can build up on it and make something even better.
0: What would you say is something important that you know now that you didn't learn when you were in school? And it doesn't necessarily have to be about technology. It can be, you know, something about yourself.
1: I think learning how to deal with people (laughs) because school doesn't really teach you how to deal with the people you're in a professional relationship with. So maybe how to handle Mm -hmm. clients and things like that. That's one thing that I wish I had had more help in because I'm quite a shy person. So whenever I have conflicts with clients, it was always a big issue, but I think I've learned how to deal with it more. And that's something that it would have been good to get some help with
0: along the way. Yeah, dealing with clients can be, it's a fine line to walk, I found, when you're doing that, because of course you want to be the expert, you want to let them know what it is, but then in the same vein, you don't want to come off as too, I guess, domineering in that way, because of course the client wants what they want, and, and as the developer, you want to tell them what they should do, but it's a it's a tightrope walk. And I really found that it just kind of helps with experience. Like the more that you talk to clients, the better you get at it. But yeah, I think, you know, that sort of thing always is something that we're all working on. Because we may think we have it down Pat, and then someone will throw Something happens and it throws us for a loop. And it's like, oh, I don't know how I should respond to what they're asking. So and I know exactly what you mean.
1: Yeah, it's particularly difficult with design work because it's so subjective and... The client, I mean, I've had some clients that do have really bad taste, but they <laughs> but they just they feel like what they their own aesthetic is, what the website should be like. And it's quite difficult being able to just try and let them understand that it might not be the best for them. I always try to explain to them that even though the client is the one hiring me, that Really, I'm working for the people who are using their site, not necessarily them. So I need to put the user's interest above maybe like the personal design aesthetic of the client as
0: well. Right. It can be hard to get clients to see it from that, that user perspective because they're so into it. They may have blinders on because they only see it from one way. And then i really considering, well, what do our users think? What are they experiencing that maybe I'm not seeing?
1: Yeah, it's quite difficult. But seeing as I've done a few projects, I can try and explain it to them, like, that this is what the studies have shown that clients, that users, I mean, interact with the website in this certain way. So maybe doing this is not actually the best for you. But sometimes you can't get through to them. So.
0: Now, earlier you mentioned, you know, AngularJS, you mentioned Firebase. Are there any other programming languages that you're kind of currently working with on projects?
1: Besides just HTML, CSS, JavaScript, I'm mainly a front-end developer, so I don't really do much back-end things. But when I discovered Firebase, I thought it was really amazing because it could give me the tools as a front-end developer to actually build things that I wouldn't have been able to because I don't really know how to work with databases. So I've just been trying to learn those tools even more. And like I said, I am I built like a clone of designer news and I'm thinking what I should do next, to maybe try and build something more ambitious. Yeah, that's what I'm working on at the moment.
0: Now, speaking of designer news, do you interact on there a fair bit? I'm on there myself. Actually, I post a new revision path episode. Okay. On- on there, but but do you interact with a lot of people on Designer News? Yeah,
1: I, well, I go on it pretty much every day. I think it's a really nice community. Most of the time, it's really friendly and welcoming. And I like the comment threads when it gets a good discussion is happening. I've commented quite a few times. I don't say I won't say I comment a lot, but whenever I see something interesting and funny, I try to take part in it.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of the, the same way. I think at least now, especially with the redesign. The problem with those, I don't want to say the problem, but the thing with those kind of sites is that it's really, of course, driven by the community. So you'll have a a sort of this long tail of content problem where there are a few posts and things that will get pushed up the ranks. And then most of the other stuff, and there's some good stuff in there, just doesn't get that chance to really be seen a whole lot.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a gamble when you post something because sometimes it gets to the top very easily, but other times it can get lost In the other posts, I mean, I posted a few of my articles on there and sometimes it gets really high up, but most of the time, nobody ever sees it.
0: (laughs) I know that feeling. That's sort of the same way with (laughs) (laughs) interviews for a vision path, because there are so many other design podcasts and things out there. So when I do end up posting something, I'm not sure if a lot of people really see it, especially if it's not a known name in the industry. So people may not even pay attention to it. So yeah, it it can be a gamble in that way.
1: Yeah, I try to post on Reddit sometimes because generally I think it's somehow less crowded in terms of the people that are posting things. So if it's something that's actually an article that's actually valuable, then it does actually get voted up. But
0: yeah, I've been around on the web a while and I have never gotten into Reddit. Really? (laughs) I've never gotten, and I, I mean, not for for lack of trying, well, I guess maybe a little <laughs> bit, but I guess I've never really, you know, I've never interacted with it. Is it, of- is it similar to Designer News where, like, you post something and then people vote it up or down, that kind of thing? Yeah,
1: I mean, well, Designer News is, a, I guess, a copy of Reddit. <laughs> it's because of the design, though, isn't it? It's kind of, a real, it's a real barrier <laughs> for people, and it was a real barrier for yeah. myself as well until I... I actually mainly use like an app on my iPad most of the time because it's really horrible to look at.
0: <laughs> I should try to get into it. Cause I know that there are a, I mean the thing with Reddit is that there's so many different threads for like anything you can think of. Yeah. There's probably a Reddit page or form. I don't know what the terminology is, but there's probably something on Reddit about it. Yeah. it's called <laughs> a. Uh, but yeah, I never really got into it.
1: Yeah. There are many different ones. There are lots of really interesting ones besides web design ones I think the one of the really popular ones related to web is the subreddit is web underscore design and that one I think has kind of the most users for in this industry anyway but outside tech they have like lots of different ones one that's really funny is um, today I learned and people just mm-hmm. post mm-hmm. just funny things that they learned today and you can get, just get really weird things <laughs> Another really good one is Ask Reddit. So people just ask the question and lots of people respond and then because of the whole voting up and down things, you just the funniest things just come to the top. It's really entertaining. I will recommend Ask Reddit, definitely.
0: Okay. On your recommendation, I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna check Reddit out. Okay. <laughs> if you weren't doing this, if you weren't being a developer and working with the startup that you mentioned, ProStream. What do you think you would be doing? Would you be a psychologist? Would you be a lawyer? Since those are things that you studied?
1: I think I would probably be a lawyer. As much as I say it was really boring reading all the case studies, I did actually enjoy it. And I I found it really interesting just just because I kind of enjoy understanding the way things work. So I really found it interesting understanding how the legal system worked. And I think I would probably have continued doing that. I was considering doing law school, if I was going to be a lawyer in Nigeria, because I had studied abroad, I would have to do another year of law school in Nigeria. But one of the big issues was that I would have had to go to the capital, which is called Abuja. But it would be kind of in the outskirts. The school was in the outskirts of Abuja. And it was kind of, it was just not really the best place. (laughs) It was kind of more of a village than a city. And Definitely electricity was not even going to be a thing that I would see. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: What would be your dream project? Like either you made it yourself or it's a project that you would work on. What would be your dream project?
1: I don't know if I could say exactly what it is that I would be working on, but I think my dream is really to just be involved in a some open source project that really contributes to web development as a whole, just build some sort of maybe a tool or something that really does help other people, empowers other people to actually get into web development and, or just development in general to just build great things. Cause I think it's a really fun industry to be in and I think it's really valuable and it's the way the world is going. So I think the more people who are able to do this it will just make the world a better place because the more people, the more the more likely that we're going to get something very
0: valuable out of. Now, one question that I I want to ask, and this is particularly because you are are in Nigeria. I know here in the U.S., there is this huge, ongoing, sometimes rambling discussion as it relates to diversity and technology, and that's with how many people of color are working at tech companies and, and tech firms and starting businesses yeah. and things like that. Now, you're in Nigeria, which is, I would assume, of course, it's in Africa, predominantly black country, black yeah. city. Do those types of conversations about diversity come up there?
1: Yeah, it's more to do with diversity in terms of gender. So have getting more women in tech, it's not really as like you said because most of us or almost all of us are Nigerian we're black so it's not really a thing about getting more black people in the industry it is similar to in the US or UK or elsewhere there are a lot less women in the industry than there are men i mean since i've been back i haven't really met other people other women i have had some interactions on twitter but i haven't met them in person but I think there's a big discussion going on at the moment. On Tech Cabal, they have this forum called Radar. It's sort of like design and news, but it's just the tech industry in general and in Nigeria. And there's a running thread about bringing more light to women in tech. So it's a discussion that's really being happen- really happening a lot at the moment.
0: What are your thoughts on it?
1: I think we should just get as many people in general that want to... Be in the industry, I think it's not necessarily about getting more women in particular, it's more just about from a younger age not making computer science seem as if it's only a male industry. And I feel like the more that we just show that there are actually women in the industry, I think for the younger generation, they will kind of realize that it's an industry for everyone and it will just happen naturally the more that. Women are displayed as actually being in the industry, then more will actually come from the younger generation.
0: I know here in the US, we've got a bunch of different organizations that help with that. We've got Black Girls Code, we have Girls Who Code, etc. Are there sort of organizations like that there that help young women get into the tech industry or become at least involved or interested? in technology?
1: Yeah, I believe there is one. I can't recall the name at the moment, but there definitely is. I have heard of one of those as well. And this startup, which is called Andela, which is a, um, it's sort of a, an education company. If you join it as a developer, you do a sort of a four-year fellowship, and you're essentially paid to learn software engineering. And I know that this last time that they had their latest batch of people, they were specifically trying to get women into it. So I think a lot of companies are realizing that well, there are actually women interested in the industry and actually trying to actually trying to help them achieve this. Yeah.
0: Where do you see yourself in the next like five years? Like it's twenty twenty. Where do you see yourself? Would you think you'll still be in Lagos as a developer?
1: I'm hoping I would still be because I think. Like I said, in Nigeria, it's really, it's really coming up at the moment. I think this is the best time for me to have come back. And I'm hoping in five years, the tech scene here would be at least as advanced as it is in the UK or US. And I will hope to really help in that. I would like to do as much as I can.
0: All right, well, Irie, just to kind of wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you online? Where can they follow your work?
1: You can follow my blog, which is Bits of Code. It's bitsofcode.de, and I'm also on Twitter. My name is Irie Adirinoku. and I'm sure no one will be able to spell that, so hopefully you could put it in the show notes for them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) All right, well, Ire Adorino Kun, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this interview. For speaking to me all the way from Lagos, I have wanted to have a Nigerian designer developer in Nigeria for such a long time on the show. So you're the first. So thank you. This has been amazing. Just hearing about like what's going on there in the city, hearing about your personal journey, and you know, kind of where you want to be in the future. So thank you so much. Thank you. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Ire adirino Poon, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Ire and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks again, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes down to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at mailchimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain today or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your purchase by using the promo code School at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, which is a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else that you like, use our discount code REVISIONPAP and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, this is my tape for you, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It helps us get new listeners. It helps more people find out about the show. I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 Media Project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit our new home over at Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash and pledge your support. Pudge level starts at just $1 a month, and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.